That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Streetery lives and is ready to host all Nats fans for the entirety of the 2022 season. Walters would like to thank everyone for their assistance in helping to keep this vital part of Walters business around. Now let's get into the more important stuff and play ball. If you're looking for the best sports bar in Navy Yard, make sure you walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Slings it home. Look out. And Lindor's hit in the batting helmet. Down he goes. The helmet goes flying away, and Lindor is face down. And the Mets bench is emptying here. Ciszek coming to apologize, and we have a bench clearer. The umpires trying to get in the middle. Coach is trying to hold off their players. It is the fourth Mets player hit of the first two games. Here come the bullpens. Everyone racing in as they try and get calmness to prevail here. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 9th, 2022, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Nats fell to 0 and 2 in their 2022 season with a 7-3 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Friday night in a game that can be remembered via a variety of names. You know, we could call this the power outage game as the start of the game was delayed due to a field light power outage. This, of course, could be the Max Scherzer game, as Max was back pitching against the Nats for the first time since his time with the Nats. Three runs and six innings, six strikeouts. This could be the Steve Ciszek game. Ciszek, in his Nats debut, throws two pitches, gets ejected. Heck, this could be the Apple TV Plus game, as the game was only available on TV via Apple TV Plus and, uh, More than a few people were not happy about that. Mark, you can take your pick on what to call this game, but uh, the game was long and the game was another rough game for Nats pitching. Well, I mean, I think what's craziest about it, Al, is that you come into the game with what should be an obvious storyline that's going to dominate, and that's Max Scherzer's return to Nationals Park, and he's pitching against one of the guys he was traded for in Josiah Gray. And not to say that didn't live up to it, that Max wasn't pretty good or that there wasn't a lot of drama involved in all of that. But there was so much else, as you just described, that it was only part of the story. And it's pretty hard to upstage Max Scherzer, but this game sort of did with everything else that happened. Some of it was good. Some of it was bad. Some of it was ugly along the way. The end result is 0-2. And while there are some encouraging signs that we've seen over these first two games, it's also pretty clear what this team's challenge is. It's going to be scoring enough runs when you get opportunities, 
And it's going to be getting enough starting pitching to take the pressure off the bullpen because once again, you only get 12 outs from your starter and now you're asking for five innings from your bullpen. This is no way to go about living life. This is not going to work in the long run. We want to thank everyone for the very good download numbers that we got for our uh, first post-game pod of the Nats 2022 season. We're with you after every Nationals game. If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, you can email the mastermind of the Nats Chat Pod, Tim Shovers at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, we have a new Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, a red Nats Chat podcast t-shirt that is available on our website for pre-order. That website is natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All right, so let's get to the thing that probably did upstage the return of Max Scherzer to Nationals Park, and that was, as uh, Kramer on Seinfeld would say, the incident uh, that took place in that uh, top of the fifth inning. So Josiah Gray pitches. He ends up not doing all that well. We'll get to him in a bit. Steve Ciszek is summoned to make his Nats debut, and he throws two pitches before getting ejected. Comes into the game in the top of the fifth with a runner on second and no outs, and he throws a pitch up and in to Francisco Lindor, who is squaring up to bunt. The pitch hits Lindor on his face and or batting helmet. Maybe it hit both. It was hard to tell. This was off Nats pitchers having issued three hit-by-pitches in game one of the series. The Mets manager, Buck Showalter, was not happy. Comes onto the field, uh, pretty clearly is cursing at C-Sheck. C-Sheck starts mouthing back. The dugouts and bullpens empty. No punches are thrown but C-Sheck ends up getting ejected, and initially we're all like, what is that for? There's no way that was intentional, but you served as the pool reporter after the game. You talked to the crew chief, Mark Carlson, and the justification for C-Sheck being ejected was what? Well, it was not for the pitch. It was for his actions after it, and essentially in Carlson's view and the crew's view. And, and let's be clear here, they didn't eject him immediately. They huddled up for quite a while before finally making the call on this, they determined that C-Sheck made the situation worse, that he instigated essentially the bench's clearing from his actions of walking towards Lindor. Now, C-Sheck himself says he just wanted to make sure Lindor was okay and make it clear that, hey, I didn't do that on purpose. There was no reason in that situation to throw at a guy like that. But he also says he understood how it could come across as though him walking towards the batter in that situation might get the Mets bench, which was already pretty hot, even hotter. Now, the only thing, and I wish I, you know, in the moment, I was, I was a little surprised by the answer. It's not what I was expecting from Carlson. And I wish I had then followed up with, did they feel that nobody on the Mets side did anything to instigate the bench's clearing? Because Buck Showalter and Joey Corr, their third base coach, who came way down the line, and was really upset, I think probably had as much to do with what happened as maybe C-Sheck's actions. So I, I wish I had a chance to go back and ask that question. But I mean, just strange. Look, I get why the Mets are upset. They had three guys hit on opening night, including Pete Alonso, also up near the head. Now you see Lindor, one of your stars, have it happen. It's a bad situation. You knew they were upset on Thursday night, but you also have to take the situation into some consideration. There was zero reason for Steve Ciszek coming into the game at that point to do anything like that. Lindor is squaring around to bunt very early. And as a pitcher, when you see that, you kind of tend to go up and in. I understand why it happened. It slipped. It's been bad pitching is the reason that the Mets have been hit by so many of them. There's no intent behind it. I get the frustration, but I feel like the Mets could have helped de-escalate that and not let it turn into what it did. 
Yeah, you also had the Nats third base coach, Gary DeSarcina, getting ejected. And, you know, that's obviously not something that you see often. So two Nats get ejected. Nobody from the Mets gets ejected. And, you know, if Carlson is going to talk about people who escalated the situation, boy, it sure seemed to me watching on Apple TV Plus that uh, Buck escalated the situation. I mean, Buck pretty clearly said the F word to C-Sheck and was like, what the F are you doing? Or, you know, let's F and go or something like that. Like, it sounded like Buck. I tell you, I think from Buck, there might have been some psychology going on. He's a new manager. He's on a team that has had all kinds of problems for years. So, you know, maybe you're trying to use this as a rallying cry of, you know, get your guys going early in a season like that. So I think there might have been some of that going on with Buck. But yeah, very strange. The game ends up being delayed for a while. And then Sean Doolittle comes into the game. So he's making his return appearance for the Nats. And Doolittle actually does a really nice job. He comes into the game, top of the fifth, runners on first and second, nobody out. He gets Pete Alonso out on a first pitch pop out, strikes out Eduardo Escobar on four pitches, and then retires Robinson Cano on a full count ground out on a nice play by Cesar Hernandez, who made a spinning stab and throw in shallow right field. So I guess if there's a silver lining, it's that Doolittle looked rather good in that fifth inning. He looked really good. 95 miles an hour on the fastball that struck out Escobar. That's even harder than he was throwing in spring training when he was up to 93. Three quick outs. Now, I mean, that is way earlier than we're used to seeing Sean Doolittle pitch in a game. But I think that was also Davey by using C-Sheck, too, in the fifth inning of what was at that time they had just lost. It had been a tie game. So they're now down four to three after Marte doubled off Josiah Gray. That was Davey saying this is a big part of the game against a big part of their lineup. We want to try to keep it right there and keep the game within reach. So I kind of like the strategy of that. The problem is once it was all over, I'm thinking to myself, okay, they still have four innings to go. They just burned up two of their best relievers. Who are they going to have left to get through the rest of this game? And this could be a recurring issue all year long. But I loved what I saw out of Doolittle and just the surreal moment of his return to Nationals Park as a member of the team. He comes out in the bullpen card, of course, because Sean Doolittle has to do that. The crowd's all fired up for it. And it happens in the fifth inning right after Steve Ciszek is ejected and the bench is empty. Just bizarre. One of many surreal scenes that played out in this game. Sean Doolittle out of the bullpen with runners first and second. Nobody out gets three outs to retire the side. Yeah, it was very strange. And so Doolittle looks good in that fifth inning. And then, like you said, you sort of say to yourself, well, we still have multiple innings to go in this game. And so the bullpen parade was on and uh, the parade was uh, not so grand. Uh, Victor Arano, two runs in the top of the six on three singles, including a two out full count, two run single by Starling Marte for a 6-3 Mets lead. Arano threw 26 pitches in that top of the sixth. Patrick Murphy in the top of the seventh gave us a Patrick Murphy specialty because this is what this guy is in a nutshell. Faces five batters, gets two outs, issues three walks. So there you go. And then Paolo Espino gets summoned into the game. And it was basically, Paolo, the rest of this game is on you. And it don't matter what happens. He pitches the rest of the game, one run in two and a third innings, including resuming after the rain delay, which you almost never see, right? A pitcher pitch after a rain delay. Davey, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't have anyone even warming up the bullpen. It was basically, Paolo, homie, secret weapon, (laughs) this is on you. You got to wear it. And uh, Paolo, he did his job. He wore it. And that's the role he's going to be in this year. This is why I think they view him as more valuable as a long reliever or jack of all trades than as a member of the rotation. You got to have one guy in your staff who can do it. The only one I remember who ever came back on any kind of lengthy rain delay was Levon Hernandez, who's in his own class by himself. But 
Paolo Espino can do it. He's willing to do it. It was a 38-minute rain delay. It wasn't super quick. And he came back, and I did give up a run after all that. But this is what you need somebody who's able to do that. It's unfortunate. It's a thankless role. But if it helped prevent one other guy from pitching in this game and make them available for Saturday's game instead, that's a good thing. But, I mean, can we talk about how you can't keep asking for five innings from your relievers every night and expect to be successful? This is just not going to work in the long run. No, it's not sustainable. And this is through two games in a season opening stretch, like we keep saying, of 18 games in 18 days. These are supposedly, in theory, right, your top two starting pitchers, at least to begin the season. And neither guy is delivered. This was a disappointing Friday night for Josiah Gray. I don't know how you put it any other way. Four runs in four innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, a triple, two doubles and four singles. He issued two walks. Now, he did have five strikeouts, but he threw 80 pitches over his four innings. Like I know there's a uh, temptation to say, well, this is due to the condensed spring training, and maybe it is in part, but he threw 80 pitches over four innings. Like It wasn't working well. It's funny because initially it was working well. He retired the first six batters who he faced, four via strikeout, and those four batters were Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, and Robinson Cano, but then the problem started. Top of the third, Gives up a one-out solo homer to Jeff McNeil to right field, as it uh, was uh, McNeil's 30th birthday, actually. And then Gray gave up two runs in the top of the fourth. Leadoff five-pitch walk of Francisco Lindor. One-out double by Eduardo Escobar. One-out two-run single by Robinson Cano. One-out four-pitch walk of Marcana. And then a two-out single by Tomas Nito. But uh, Gray got bailed out there by D-Strange Gordon, who made an excellent throw to get Robinson Cano out at home. As the Nats defense actually was rather good for a second straight game. But then Mets one run fifth. Gray faces two batters, gives up two extra base hits. Leadoff triple by Brandon Nemo, who was down at 1.02. And then an RBI double by Starling Marte for a 4-3 Mets lead. So, you know, it did start off well for Josiah Gray, but it certainly didn't end well. And he really just seemed to run out of gas as that outing went on. Yeah, and that's why I do think there is something to the idea of this being the short spring training and all of a sudden you're now pitching in a real game in very different circumstances. And yeah, he may have already been up to 80 pitches in the spring, but it's a different 80 that you throw in Florida than you're throwing up here on a cold, wet night against a very good Mets lineup in a game that counts. So I think some of it is maybe, and he even admitted afterwards that there is a little fatigue setting in, certainly by the fifth inning. I was surprised, not I was a little surprised that he got to come back out for the fifth. And maybe that's a reflection of what happened the night before. And Davey's saying, I got to try to squeeze one more inning out of my starter before I go to the bullpen. But I thought by the end of the fourth, he was kind of already on fumes. There was nobody warming at that point. It required that great throw from D. Strange Gordon to the plate to end the fourth. Otherwise, that could have kept getting worse. I mean, that, that was a base hit up the middle that could have scored a run and kept the inning going. So I think there's some of that. But there, I think we also have to talk about Josiah Gray, first time through the order, great. The four strikeouts. Does he have the stuff? Does he have the ability to change his sequencing and the way he's approaching hitters the second time around and certainly the third time around to still be successful? This is something a young pitcher has to learn how to do. There are going to be some lumps along the way, probably. It doesn't help that you have a rookie catcher, essentially, working with them who's maybe not great at learning the sequencing. I think this is something to watch a lot this year with Kbert Ruiz and Riley Adams behind the plate. And anytime you have a young starter on the mound like Josiah Gray, you can't use it all up the first time through. You got to save something for when you face him again or come up with a different way to attack him to get outs the next time through. 
Yeah, I mean, when he was good last season, he did go, say, six innings in the start. So it's not like he's reeked of this inability to last, say, beyond a few innings. But no doubt, that's something that every pitcher needs to get to. So with the pitchers and the condensed spring training, I know it takes time for pitchers to build up their arms. But we know also that these guys do a lot of offseason work on their own. It's not like they come into camp completely out of shape. You know, I don't think anybody thought that the entire season was going to be canceled. So presumably guys were kind of sort of getting themselves ready before spring training actually officially began. They really needed the full six weeks to get going here. Like they couldn't have been more ready than normal entering spring training. So you can begin the regular season, you know, able to go beyond, say, four innings. Well, so the the way that everyone looks at this is we all say, oh, spring training is too long, doesn't need to be six weeks. And the hitters would tell you that's correct. The only people who would tell you they need the six weeks are starting pitchers. Relievers are okay, usually. It's starting pitchers because there is a progression to build up. And here's the thing. Yes, you can work out on your own. You can be throwing bullpen sessions. You can even face some live hitters before you ever get to a late-started camp like we had here. But there is a difference between that and actual game situations against an opponent in situations where you have to pitch your way out of an inning often you know, wait on the bench because who knows how long your team's going to be batting until you're back to the mound. There's not really a good way to simulate that. You just kind of have to do it for real. And even in a normal spring, I'd say most starting pitchers, the first or second time they start in April, they're not all the way there yet. Usually there is a little shorter leash on them. And because it's a different intensity when you're pitching in a real game against real hitters with a lot more at stake. And so all of a sudden, yeah, maybe you threw 90 pitches in your last spring training start, but by the time you get to 70 in a regular season game, that's a different kind of 70, and you start to feel it. So I think there is something to that, but I don't want to completely attribute what we saw from Josiah and even Patrick Corbin to that. You know, I think it's a combination of things, but I did feel like all along these first couple of weeks off a short spring with a questionable rotation to begin with, that it could be ugly, and we are kind of seeing that here so far. Yeah, and not helping anything was Steve Ciszek throwing two pitches (laughs) and getting tossed from the game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. 
Well, a pitcher who did last for at least a little while on Friday night was the ex-Nat, Max Scherzer. It is so true. The lead did end up getting buried in this game. Max, not surprisingly, got a very nice ovation at Nationals Park. You know, he wasn't dominant, but he certainly was good enough to win three runs in six innings, had six strikeouts versus one walk. He only gave up three hits, but one of the hits that he gave up was a very impressive homer by Josh Bell, who had a very good all-around game. Uh, Josh Bell, a two-run home run in the bottom of the fourth inning, a homer to the second deck in right field off Scherzer to tie the game at three. The homer going a projected 443 feet for StatCast. But uh, like in game one of the season, really not much for the Nats beyond the home run. We on Thursday night had the Juan Soto homer and not much else. We on Friday night had the Josh Bell homer, did get a couple of singles from Cabot Ruiz, who continues to look good. But otherwise, Nats finished the game with just five hits, just one walk, nine strikeouts. You know, not a particularly impressive offensive night for the Nets. No, and the difference between these two games is that the Mets bullpen has been highly effective. Nationals bullpen has not. I count seven innings by Mets relievers so far, and the Nationals have scored one run off of them. The Nationals bullpen has had to throw 10 total innings, and it hasn't been nearly as efficient. So I think that's part of the issue of what we're seeing here. But, you know, in terms of Max... This was the grinded out Max more than the dominant Max. We've seen this. When he's not 100% healthy, he's got to kind of work his way through it. And there's a few moments along the way. And there was a three-batter sequence. You you want to talk about the heart of the Nats lineup and what they can do. Soto, Cruz, and Bell. The final out of the third inning and then the first two batters of the fourth. Soto hits. I mean, you can't hit a ball in the screws any more than he did. 113 miles an hour off the bat. Just happened to hit it directly at the right fielder for the last out of that inning. Then Cruz leads off the fourth and hits a ball 112 miles an hour for his single. And then, of course, the Bell bomb, that was 112 miles an hour also. That's three straight hitters, 112 or higher off of Max Scherzer. So credit to the hitters, of course, but also tells you that Max maybe wasn't full-scale, you know, Cy Young Max Scherzer. But to his credit, and we've seen him do this before, he finished strong. He retires eight of the last nine batters he faces. I'm thinking to myself, hey, he may only be good for five innings tonight, but he was able to be quick and efficient after that and got through his six on 80 pitches. Josiah needed 80 pitches to get through four plus innings. Max needs 80 pitches to get through six. There's your difference in the game. Here's the pitch. Swing a line drive toward the second baseman and McNeil out on the outfield grass with a little leap makes the catch. And that'll do it. So Soto with a leadoff walk, a race on double play, and Max Scherzer has finished six innings in his Mets debut. Mets lead at 6-3. to three. Interesting that Davey Martinez did tinker with his lineup in just the second game of the season. Now, I know some of this had to do with wanting to have lefty batters in there against Max, but we had Yadiel Hernandez as a starting left fielder as opposed to Lane Thomas. We had D. Strange Gordon as the starting center fielder as opposed to Victor Robles. But for a second time in as many games this season, the back half of the Nats lineup, especially like the bottom of the order, really gave you next to nothing. Yadiel Hernandez, Michael Franco, Cedis Escobar, and D. Strange Gordon on Friday night go a combined 0 of 12. No hits, no walks. Uh, Yadiel had the RBI sack fly and those four batters combined for seven strikeouts. We know that the Nats are going to make their money offensively this season, you know, two through four with Soto, Cruz, and Bell, uh, and then maybe Cabo Ruiz I should throw into the mix there too in the five spot. But man, that that bottom of the Nats lineup and not looking so great. What do you think about Davey adjusting the lineup in the second game of the year? I know Davey is very superstitious, so to me... I know some of this maybe did have to do with the lefty-righty thing, but if the Nats had scored eight runs in game one, Davey would have stuck with the exact same lineup in game two. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. As Davey says, he's not superstitious. He's just a little stitious. And uh, yeah, no, he would have. You're right. We've seen that from him before. So I thought it was interesting. I think there's some of it. It was getting lefties in against Max. So they had six lefties in the lineup for this game. So there's some of that. He also tried to say that he really wants to make sure his bench players are not just sitting around cold. You know, they hit a lot in spring training. D. Gordon had a great spring, of course. And if you just now leave him on the bench for a week, you know, you may lose that. So the telling thing, and, and this is going to be something all year long now that there's a DH in the National League, they didn't use one guy off the bench on opening night. They also didn't use anybody off the bench now in game two. In these kind of games, whoever you're starting is pretty much going to be it unless there's a certain matchup late that you think is better. And so I think he may have to try to find some spot starts for these guys to sort of keep them fresh. And that was the thinking here that this was maybe the best matchup for them. Yadiel hit the ball well in the second inning. That was the sack fly to the warning track that scored the first run. But other than that, he didn't do anything. Franco Escobar, D. Strange Gordon had his great play in the field, but at the plate did not carry over anything from spring training. So I was a little surprised at the changes, but I guess I understand the philosophy. And I think it's going to be something to really track as the season plays out. How does he try to keep his bench players fresh when there are really not going to be any pinch hitting opportunities? I do want to highlight the Nats defense. I mentioned the D-Strange Gordon outfield assist. The 2-2 to Nito. Swing a line drive center field. That's going to fall for a base hit. One hop to Strange Gordon. Cano trying to score. Strange Gordon's throw on the fly is there in plenty of time. And Cano is out on the tag by Ruiz. D-Strange Gordon from center field on the fly guns him down. Mentioned the nice play that Cesar Hernandez made in shallow right field. How about the Josh Bell play in this game to begin the top of the third? He chases down like an excuse me single by Mark Canna. I don't even know if that was a check swing single. That was like less than a check swing. The ball goes down the right field line in a foul territory. Bell makes this sliding pickup of the baseball, fires the baseball to Alcides Escobar at second base where Canna is tagged out. The one-strike pitch from Gray. Check swing, roller, first base side, over the bag, and fair! Bell racing after it down the line. Canna's trying for two. Bell the throw on a couple of bounces. The tag. He is out at second. Escobar gets the tag down. What a play by Josh Bell. We saw Josh Bell motor. We saw some athleticism from Josh Bell. That was an impressive play. And the Nats defense, which we all remember was surprisingly good first half of last season, through two games this season, has been impressive. It's been outstanding, and maybe even surprisingly so, given who some of the names are we're talking about here. That was a fantastic play by Josh Bell, like you said, all that stuff. And then to put the throw on the money, I mean, he has some throwing issues. It's not Ryan Zimmerman throwing issues, but when Bell picks up the ball and gets ready to throw it to second base, you're holding your breath normally. You don't know exactly how this is going to go. He made that play perfectly. And he was fired up after it, too. You could see he really was enjoying that moment and understood that was a big play to make in what they were treating as a pretty big game. So he's had some nice scoops at first base also on low throws already. So between him, the D. Strange Gordon play, the Escobar relay on opening night, Franco's made some nice plays. I like what I see. I don't know if it's going to keep up like this, but so far, the Nats defense has probably been the most pleasant development of the first two games of the season. It's been very good. Been nice to see that. So we have game three in this series on Saturday night at 7.05. Let's hope for the first time in three games this year, a Nats game actually starts on time. Uh, That would be nice. Or ends before 11.30. That would be nice too, right? That would be good too, yes. Uh, Somebody tell Kevin Costner to stay at home so we don't have a a light outage problem. Ooh, I'm not touching that urban legend. (laughs) To begin the game 
at Nationals Park. But we are going to see on Saturday night a pitching matchup of Joanna Doan versus Chris Bassett. And we have not talked about this yet. The fact that Joanna Doan made the Nats season opening rotation. And as things end up working out, because Annabelle Sanchez is dealing with a stiff neck, Doan opens the season as the Nats number three starter, which says a lot about a lot. It was so interesting how Davey Martinez this past Monday afternoon after Adone's uh, exhibition start in the Nats' next-to-last exhibition game basically publicly lobbied for Adone to make the season-opening rotation. You don't see Davey do that often. I don't know if he already knew that Adone was making it or if Davey was trying to communicate something to Mike Rizzo, but Davey said basically point-blank, I'd like Joanna Adone to make the season-opening rotation. And then the Nats on Tuesday evening optioned Josh Rogers to AAA Rochester so Adone had made the team. You know, we've talked a little bit about Adone and the impressive outing he made in the Nats season finale last year, but how surprised were you that he actually ended up making the season opening rotation? So I think if you'd asked me that question with seven to 10 days left in camp, I would have said, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Like I barely even considered him as a candidate. And then over that last week, you started hearing these things from Davey. You saw the fact that they really wanted to get him a start against a big league lineup, see how you would handle it. And I'm thinking to myself, they're really strongly considering this, aren't they? Certainly they were in the end. And like if we had said at the outset, which of their rookie pitchers is more likely to make the open day rotation, Cade Cavalli or Yoan Doan? We would have thought Cavalli in a heartbeat that he would have wowed them in spring training and made it. And instead, it's the kid who quietly has really stepped up at least internally in the eyes of this organization. The fact that he started game 162 against the Red Sox last year was a big surprise for someone who had, I think it's only four starts over single A prior to that point. But what he did in that game, I know it's just one game, but he struck out nine Red Sox on a day when that game meant everything to Boston. They're playing for their playoff lives and he handled it all extremely well. So between that, spring training, looking impressive, he went up against a good Cardinals lineup, and I kind of got the sense, you know what, they are strongly considering this, and let's see how it goes now. He's a good young kid. He's got a big arm. He's got some confidence to him. He's sort of quiet, but you can see that he has a little bit of swagger to him. I think the fact he's pitching game three is maybe more a reflection of he was on the right schedule for that. Anibal, they had to wanted to hold for a few days. Fetty, remember, had his uh, oblique situation late in camp. So it sort of messed up their original plan. I don't think this would have been what it was originally, but he's going to be out there and we're going to see what he's got against a very good Mets lineup. You would think you don't put a kid like that in your rotation to start the year unless you're going to have a long leash and let him go, you know, for a good month before you make any decisions. But we'll see. You hope he gets off on the right foot. Yeah, I mean, it's a function of the Nats not having many other good options, but it's also a function of Adone having impressed. You know, he's not some highly regarded prospect, but he did do well in that game against the Red Sox. This is his age 23 season. And look, if this Nats rebuild is going to move in a quicker fashion than people maybe are anticipating, it's going to be because you find some diamonds in the rough. So maybe, possibly, Yoan Adone is a diamond in the rough for the Nats. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us as well, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan for Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
Here's the set, the pitch, fastball, swing and a miss! Swing and a miss, he struck him out, and a curly W is in the books. It's the first Major League save for Kyle Finnegan, and it could be the last victory in a Nationals uniform for Max Scherzer, his 92nd in a Nationals uniform of his 183 career wins. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.